If you're an executive, entrepreneur, seasoned investor, or just a student of the game, you'll love The Great Fail, Adweek's Entrepreneurship Podcast of the Year, a show that artfully uncovers some of the biggest fails in business history and how it might have been prevented. The Great Fail is entertaining, informative, and told through a true crime narrative in under 30 minutes that keeps you at the edge of your seats. So check out The Great Fail wherever you get your podcast. We actually use Scrib in our home. Do you really love your sleep number bed? And we do. Busy has been in my fridge also. Let's We've been talking about the power of creator marketing for advertisers, particularly in the lead up to the not too distant future when browser cookies go the way of the brontosaurus. But what do creators have to say about it? Today, we're joined by Dave Coulter of Daily Driven Exotics, whose YouTube channel boasts 3.19 million subscribers and counting, to hear his take on the power of creator-driven advertising amid the coming changes. Dave, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. So for listeners who might not follow you yet, I'd love it if you could just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about the show and, you know, how it all got started and how you got to where you are today. So the show is called Daily Driven Exotics. We primarily post content on YouTube, but honestly, we're everywhere at this point. But it all started with YouTube back in 2012. My business partner, Damon Fryer, always had a huge passion for exotic cars. In fact, I knew him when we were teenagers, and back then it was Hondas. And he was obsessed to the point where it's all he looked at was car magazines back then, ordering parts. He actually built his own carbon fiber parts in the garage. So I always knew that cars would be in his future. Uh, unfortunately, back then, early 2000s, there was no Facebook, there was no Instagram, there was really, uh, there was chat forums, and that was it. So, so we actually lost contact as life moved on, people got married, had kids, and so forth. And then, um, fast forward to 2015, um, I was a district manager at Starbucks, so I had 13 locations, I had a collared shirt, I was very unhappy. <laughs> I thought this would be like the dream corporate job because that's what I was kind of uh, formed to thinking. But I wasn't fulfilled, and um, Law of Attraction would state that something would come to my life one day that would align me, and it did. It was a, a black Ferrari 458 in one of my store parking lots. And I pulled in, and I never I knew what Ferraris were, but at that point, my thermostat was not even near the point of understanding a Ferrari. I was looking at BMWs. That was like my dream at that point. I was still in the cars, but on a lower level. And I walked in and I saw Damon and I immediately knew that was his car. It just made sense. So I sat down and I was like, hey, dude, it's been, you know, 10 years, maybe more. What's going on? And um, he basically explained he was in email marketing and then he was doing Facebook marketing. So as an ad buyer, he had an agency and I was really curious. And it was kind of like I always tell the story, like if you've seen Wolf of Wall Street, when Jonah Hill walks into the restaurant, it was almost exactly like that. And I was like, so, you know, how much money do you make? <laughs> And, and at that point, you know, he was having weeks where he'd make what I'd make in a year and a week doing online marketing. Wow. And in that moment, like my first suspicion was, okay, there's no way. Because when you're working a regular job, like the idea of anything more than, you know, a certain dollar amount, just your, your brain can't wrap around it. Anyways, started chatting more and talked about his company. We also talked about Daily Driven Exotics, which was a YouTube channel he had started. And he was trying to figure out you know, how to really build that as a media company. Um, so instead of doing like, you know, Facebook where you're buying ads, trying to convert ads and so forth or email, uh, having your own audience and you have direct control and access to your audience. So he kind of was trying to understand how he could build that channel so that he make a living off that instead of doing something, you know, not as fun like Facebook ads. 
So at that point, he had just started vlogging. So originally, he had a camera guy follow him around. He wanted to be like, you know, Ken Block. Just drive a car sideways. Don't talk to the camera. Just make cool videos. But he quickly realized that that wouldn't be profitable based on the cost of production and what the internet was craving. So he started holding the camera and talking to it and just documenting his day. And it started off really basic in a small town in Victoria. He had a Lamborghini at the time. And he would go get a haircut. And he'd go get lunch. And he would just daily vlog. Inspired something like Casey Neistat at the time. And around that time, he offered me an opportunity to leave my corporate, really boring, miserable job for a piece of the company that was, it wasn't pre-revenue, but it was just starting to make a little bit of money. There wasn't really a lot to take a paycheck at that point. So I said, well, I can do um, DDE at night. So what I would do is I would work my day job, eight to five, eight to six. And at night, my role was brand deals. So DDE was starting to make videos. I think it had 60,000 subscribers. It was starting to get decent views. And he's like, well, to obviously to scale any business, you need revenue. And in that deal, it was, it was brand deals. So my job was outreach. There was no inbound at that time. We were too small, maybe one or two emails, but it was pretty much up to me to sell the brand. So I would go on Instagram every night, you know, even during the day while I was working, to be honest with you, <laughs> I was double ending a little bit. I would just DM hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of companies and try to sell DDE. And I would probably have a 1% success rate, but that 1% success rate was the biggest accomplishment of my life when I could call Dan and be like, hey, you know, I got this, this dash cam company. They're going to give us, you know, it wasn't a lot of money back then based on our, our size of our brand, but the satisfaction knowing that this is possible. And as soon as I landed my first brand deal, I was all in. I was like, this is real. This is a real business. This is a real world. I met a few people that did YouTube that were making really good money. So then Damon was kind enough to say, well, I'll, I'll give you a salary to replace your income. What do you need to live? And he said, we'll figure it out. I'll pull from my other company or whatever. So he really gave me the opportunity to jump fully into this brand and just seeing my hunger and knowing that how committed I was, that there's a risk he took and a risk I took and it worked out really well. And then that would be 2016. And then eventually um, he's like, hey, I'm filming a video today. Do you want to come hang out or you know watch the process? And then that formed into me being on camera. And then today now we're the co-host. So we basically film pretty much everything together. Um, Damon leads the videos, pretty much holds the camera most of the time, and I'm support cast. And there's times where I'll lead a video that he won't be in, but primarily that's my role. It's kind of like the punchline. So Damon's the driver. He drives cars and does crazy things in cars. Um, I'm more of a luxury car kind of guy. Bentley, Rolls Royce, Mercedes, backseat, massaging chairs. He's race car, uncomfortable, car sideways. And together we really create this really cool chemistry on camera where I like to tell jokes and be kind of a smart ass where Damon's more of the badass with the cars. And it's really built this crazy global brand where people now will pay us just to come to an event without a camera, just to see us and do our thing for their audience. And it's, it's pretty wild to see how it's evolved. And when you're working so hard, you don't really stop to realize the size of your brand or where you're at because you're so focused on making a video. And just t today and tomorrow, when you stop and look back at where we were two years ago or five years ago, it's, it's pretty wild. So that's kind of been the, uh, my path with Daily Gym Exotics and how it's kind of led up to this point today. That's such a cool story. I, I love that you gave a full picture of like how you started and where you were at before and how the, the brand has evolved. I'm curious, you know, I looked at your numbers right now. I think it was something, last time I checked, it was something like 3.19 million followers or, or subscribers on YouTube. There's like a million people subscribed to you guys on TikTok. I, I'm curious how you think about the community right now. Are, you know, are those primarily people who are just as in love with cars as you guys are in, in different ways? Or what ties your audience together? Yeah, so if someone's listening right now haven't watched our video, I would encourage them to go watch one to kind of see what our brand's about. We're not techie. We're not informative. 
We're not serious. We're entertainment, first and foremost. So we both love cars. We love the engineering. We love everything that happens behind it. But we understand how to scale this. It needs to be less niche and more about the lifestyle behind it. So the best way to describe it, I use this pitch all the time, is picture um, Entourage, the show on HBO, and Top Gear. So you have the camaraderie of the guys and, and the come up and the shenanigans and the, the lifestyle with the cars in a lighthearted way. So our, our audience primarily is male, you know, 25 to 34. We actually have more people over 65 than under 18 watching our videos. I mean, obviously it's heavy male, but there's a lot of uh, female demographic because, like, again, how I produce them, the goal was always if, you know, the husband's watching the video and the wife walks by and looks over, she'll be entertained enough to watch it and get into it as well. And we've seen that happen by making it, again, more open source in the fact that it's fun. It's like, hey, today we're going to do this. We're taking this car. We're going to go on this road trip. We're going to do this adventure. It's going to be crazy. And that's the video. So it's you get to follow along. And we have a responsibility to our fans that a lot of people that are watching might not experience seeing a Lamborghini in person or even being on an airplane. And we're fortunate enough to build this brand where now we constantly travel. I think one year we did 180 flights. We own 15 exotic cars. We have this big fleet. So the idea would be come with us. Like you might not be able to experience this based on where you're at in the world or financially at this point in your life. But don't worry, you're with us. You're one of us. We're going to take this car and do this today, and you're coming with us. We talk to you. I contacted the camera, experience it, what it's like, the noises. And not only that, but also the places we get to go. We just finished Monterey Car Week where we spent time with like the CEO of, of Maserati. Had a conversation with him, the creator and founder of Koenigsegg. Like, access to things like that that are not common and ask questions that the average person would want to ask around the cars and the lifestyle, things like that. So I think, I think that really speaks to our focus on a big audience and not a niche audience. Obviously, automotive is more niche than, say, music. However, we've expanded it to the point where it's not so unapproachable. And a story behind that would be when I was younger and I'd be at a gas station, there'd be a Ferrari pulling, and I've never seen a Ferrari before, and I walk up to the driver and he just rolls the window up. Because there's a certain back then, and probably still today, there's a certain like, well, I have a Ferrari and you don't. Um, you know, if you see us in a gas station and you see, how, like, hey, that's a cool car, we'll say to you, yeah, go sit in it. Like, we really want to bring this exclusive world of, of, of supercars and hypercars to everybody. And we do a lot of um, fan meets where we'll say, hey, we're going to be here at this time. Uh, we were on Gunwall Rally recently where we had a fan meet basically every stop and location. And we pull in and there would be three, four, five thousand people chanting DDE, which is terrifying like, all at once. Like <laughs> all these people. And you're just doing myself with the camera. But Dame and I will stay there for three, four hours taking a picture with every single person, shaking everyone's hand to give as much time as we possibly can because we understand that without them, this goes away. And there's a huge responsibility we have to make that inclusive. Yeah, I can really feel how much you guys are connecting just in how you're telling that story. It sounds like in a way you're kind of connecting to the younger you, you know, the people who are just as passionate about cars and maybe, you know, don't have as much access. And I love how you're bringing that, you know, potentially kind of exclusive and, uh, you know, far off experience to more people. And it's, it's just awesome that the internet even makes that possible. And it's a really cool time. So one of the things we've been talking about recently on the podcast and, and, part of why we're talking today is thinking about how brand partnerships may be impacted by some of the changes in, in data and privacy. Obviously, like as a brand partnering with a show like DDE, there's there's a lot of reasons that that partnership works. And one of the things that advertisers care about is understanding the you know performance impact of working with certain creators. And as a consumer, you know, globally, people are, I think, generally happy that cookies may be going away because it means less tracking for them personally but 
you know, advertisers are sort of bracing for impact. And the question kind of came up for me is, are creators worried about this? And if not, why not? And if so, why so? So I'm just curious from your perspective, how do you see this impacting you guys as business owners or as a show? Yeah, good question. I think, you know, from a perspective of a marketer, which is what we are first before even a creator, we understand that things will always be changing. So before this, I actually worked for Damon's company doing Facebook ads. And I remember an ad would be going great and then it just wouldn't. And it would just change and it would change, be a policy change. That's just the nature of the business. The challenge is you don't own your audience when you're spending money on Facebook ads. So you could run in a campaign, spend a million dollars. There's no guarantee on conversions. There's no guarantee people even see it. And something will change and the money's gone. And then once it's over, it's over. There's no, no one's going to say, oh, I remember this ad I saw on Facebook six years ago. I'm going to go buy this product. The benefit now is more brands we push towards creators to understand the impact we have beyond an algorithm. It's personal. And a really good example of that is there's an energy drink called Celsius that we love. And organically, we've been buying it for years. Been buying it for years for a lot of reasons. Um, and people are like, they should sponsor you. And we're like, yeah, they should sponsor us. But we're just drinking the videos anyways. Eventually... We partnered with them, and now they sponsor us, and we're our main sponsors. And I can't tell you how many times people will DM me a picture of them drinking a Celsius. Or we're at a fan meet, and they bring us this product. It is insane. Like, we did actually, really ironic, we had a sponsored video last week, our first big one on YouTube with Celsius. Before that, it was TikTok. And we're like, okay, let's film this promo. And as I'm talking about filming the promo, someone walks up with a case of Celsius to surprise us, a random person. And that became the promo, that and other things. So... That attachment goes along beyond any algorithm or any ad set or lookalike audience because it's personal. And people, when they walk into a store, will see a Celsius and they won't think of what they're seeing in the brand. They'll think of, oh, that's what DD drinks. And they're so loyal to that. That's a huge opportunity that, in a lot of ways, is still completely undervalued for brands. Again, when you put an ad on, on Facebook, there really is no guarantee that's going to even go anywhere. With us, we can show you, when you click the link, you can show you who watched it, how long they watched it. We talked about it. You can go read the comments. And we'll do that. So at the end of a campaign, we'll have somebody go through and put together basically a little, a little package to show the advertiser going, obviously the data and things like that, but also the comments and the, and the engagement and the love and, and what people are saying about the brand, which is really cool. So, you know, bringing it back to the changes, there's always going to be changes, but what won't change is somebody's attachment to a, a creator personally. And even happens to us sometimes where YouTube will, you know, someone will click on notifications, but they won't get one. Something will change. We can't control that. And I love what uh, Gary Vee always says is like, don't complain about why things are the way they are. Adapt. I can't change how YouTube or anything does it, but I make people love the brand and love our videos. And, you know, it's really simple. If you make a video that people generally enjoy watching and they click on it and watch a lot of it, it's going to get views. So it's our responsibility to always come up with ideas. And even when things are going really good and we're having a great run, okay, what's next? Because we know that it's not forever and we have a real responsibility to make really good content and really push ourselves constantly bring the views in, keep the viewer engaged. And along that journey, brands have that attachment. Again, like Celsius, and there's tons more where I'll be autographing things. Someone brings like a cell phone case we promote for the past five years. Like they bought that product because they trust us. They love the product. They tell all their friends. Then they go buy an extra of that product. They bring it to me so I can autograph it. Like That's just a whole new world in advertising that I still feel is undervalued in a lot of ways and still untapped. And I, I see it now. Like So now that we're, say, seven years in of being uh, monetized along all runs, merchandise, brand deals, uh, all those things, I'm seeing more bigger brands come into the space now that are kind of going, well, this is crazy. 
And I think that over the next few years with changes in Facebook algorithm and cookies being deleted, more brands will look to this going, okay, well, let's, let's try this creator program and learn more about it. And again, it's very different because you are giving up a certain level of control. Most advertising campaigns have 15 approval processes. We're with a lot of creators. The advertisers that do the best are the ones that are like, I watch you through audience. I trust you. Sell a product in a tone that's going to speak to your audience. And obviously there are things you can't say and you can't say, and there's obviously rules with this. We get all that and respect it. But let me really sell your product in a verbiage that my audience is going to go, hmm. And that's what we did with Celsius, and it's been crushing. Yeah, that's honestly almost a word for word what I preach to our clients because we feel that you know the creators are the best salespeople ultimately because they understand their audience, and you guys clearly know what works best. I was sitting down with a CEO of a major car manufacturer, like a, a big one. Like I won't say who they are. And... He was like, we're not appealing to younger people. And when he says younger, he means sub 40. I'm not talking about teenagers. 20s, 30s, 40s, prime income, prime spending. They have a credit rating. Uh, the market, pretty much everyone wants to go after. And we're not appealing to them. We don't know why. And we were like, well, here's the challenge. People are numb to polish. People want raw. And that's why TikTok's blowing up. Not edited. And a lot of our content now is just like raw and it does better. People want real, they want authentic. When you have 12 people approving an ad, that will, and say we create a, an ad for a brand. There's 12 lines around the way and then somebody's like, mm, this doesn't work, that doesn't work. And it takes away the authenticity of it. And all of a sudden it might get scrapped and not work. You need to have a little bit of rock and roll. It needs to be fun and find the balance as far as, far as the image of the brand, but also appealing to it being, this is a fun brand. You know, the world's been through a lot in the past five, 10 years and people are looking more and more now to experience entertainment and excitement. And a car should be exciting, especially an exotic car should be sexy. It should be Rock and roll is, is a term we use in that conversation. And you can see the light bulb go off and it's like, yeah, sometimes process gets in the way of the result. And uh, I've worked for big companies and I understand the why behind that because you have 15 departments. And then sometimes there's, there's politics and bureaucracy inside of that. Where for us as YouTubers, like when we sell our own products, we sell so much. If I sell a hat like this, we'll sell 4,000 hats in a weekend. Why? Because people bought into it and I can make it fun. I can make it exciting. I don't talk about what the hat is. I don't say it's made out of wool and fiber. Talk about the why behind the brand, the excitement, and people where they feel like they're part of the brand. And that's really exciting. And that's really, 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 when you really hit the nail on the head, if someone's like, it's the why, not the what. I'm buying this car because it's exciting. So I watched it in a DD video and it inspired a passion I haven't felt since I was a teenager. And now I want to walk in the dealership and I want to experience that. Not, this car has eight cylinders and has 500 horsepower. That's not why people buy cars or even products. They want to feel connected, they want to feel excited. And for me personally, when I get something that I've really wanted for a long time, any product or service, and get that excitement, that's the best feeling. More so than anything else, you're unpackaging it, the packaging, the experience. And that's what we get to showcase in our videos when we do a promo. We can say, like, here it is, and you're excited, and they can feel it with you. It's really exciting. Yeah, I love that. You're speaking my language. As a copywriter, I'm, I'm always trying to get clients to think about, like, what's the emotional connection, not just the feature, but what, what's, the, uh, what's the bigger why? So I love all of that. So as we're talking about data a little bit, I'm just kind of curious, as a creator, you know, you're on YouTube. I know that YouTube provides insights. What sort of insights are you digging into either to understand your audience as you're creating content or just to make decisions? Does it inform the content you create or how do you end up using the kind of first party data you have access to? So the initial YouTube ad this feature a few years ago where it ranks your videos out of 10, the past 10 uploads. So obviously if you wake up in the morning and it says 10 out of 10, it means that's not playing to your audience. So YouTube's going to serve your videos first to your diehard. I call it super fans. Like there's fans out there that will watch every video. There's the diehards, the ones that will buy all the merch, that will be at every fan meet, 
that watch any video, even if the video title and thumbnail might be something that really appeals. They love the brand so much. And for us, we have probably 400,000 people that we know will watch every video. Now, that doesn't mean that they'll go away if you push it and you start getting lazy, but that's a really good indicator where if I put a video out and it shows the first X amount of people, if they like it, you're gonna have a high click-through rate. And if they like watching the video, they're gonna have higher retention. So that's number one, is click-through rate and retention. If you have a high, higher than average click-through rate, higher retention, it's gonna serve more, serve more people. Maybe subscribers that don't always watch your videos or other people. And that's the one thing about subscribers, which is kind of a lie in the fact that half the people who watch your videos aren't subscribed. They just get suggested the video and keep on watching it. But that's kind of the, the, the analytics around the ranking of click-through rate uh, and then ranking of the past 10 videos. So in the first hour of an upload, we know how the video is gonna perform. So we understand, okay, so we can track it. Why did it perform, right? For us, it's title and thumbnail. Is it appeal to a person? Does it get to the point right away? Is it the right color? And Damon's background in, in Facebook marketing and email really helped in the beginning because he understands certain use of colors, certain use of, you know, what's the, 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 the image about, what happens in the first 15 seconds of the video. Facebook's more specific on that. Like YouTube's a bit more forgiving in the first 15 seconds, whereas Facebook is the first three seconds. You have three seconds to hold their attention, they're gone. And it shows you right away who watched for three seconds, who watched for 15, and who watched for a minute. And your goal is to get someone from three seconds to 15, then to a minute. And if you can get those three items, you're gonna have a video that blows up. So you really just need to pay attention. And as far as like, do we, do we make content that purposely appeals? Yes. We make videos purposely because we want audience to watch it. So there are certain vehicles that I love that doesn't get views, right? For whatever reason, like luxury cars, like a Rolls Royce or Bentley, which I love because they're so comfortable, doesn't appeal in the same way a Lamborghini would. And we've tested that with data. Um, we'll also, like the other day I sat down, went through the last 12 months, and any video over, I think, 750,000 views, I tracked it on a tracker. What was titled on thumbnail? So we know there's top four categories that historically will always produce the best results. And there's also the bottom four that historically have produced the, the lowest results. And when we have a sponsored video, we have a responsibility to that advertiser to go, well, we need to perform. So we'll map out for the month going, okay, what's our sponsors for the month? And what are the biggest videos we have? And that's where if an if a advertiser has flexibility in publishing date, that's really beneficial. Sometimes it doesn't always work out. So they say, hey, we're launching a product this date. The video has to go up that date. And we'll reverse engineer that, make sure you have a good video. But I have sponsors are like, I don't care what video or what day goes up. I trust you. Give me the best result. And those are the ones that have been with us for five years because I'll be like, hey, I know it's due tomorrow, but I have a really good video next week that I really want to put your product in because I feel like this will be the one that really benefits you the most. And the CEO is like, oh, I trust you. Yeah, you got me back. And because we don't want one-time deals. I don't want one sponsor to pay me a bunch of money one time and go away. It doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help the audience because it takes time to build that trust. They say, I think it's seven points of contact until somebody really engages in your brand. And for what we do now, you know, historically on YouTube, it's been a conversion campaign. I pay you to sell this product in this one video. But the real value as it's expanding now is the, is the intangible branding. Because there's products now where in the beginning they might have just been on YouTube, but now they're in stores. Now they're in Walmart and they're in big box stores where someone walks by and they see that and they go, where did I see that? Where did I see that men's room product? Oh, and they might not know it at the time, but they've seen it in 25 DD videos. And they may have not taken action in the moment, but now they're seeing the product. And that's the extreme value. And that's where I would argue and say that we're undervalued in the fact that just the branding. And if you think about like, you know, what it, the views a TV show gets, the views a Netflix series get versus the cost of production and advertising versus YouTube. If an advertiser is watching this, it is so cheap and so effective on YouTube right now. It's pennies in the dollar. Now that will change because... You know, more and more people now are canceling their cable services. More people are canceling their Netflix services. Like, people are now are so used to getting so much content. 
where they will go on, they'll binge, and I do the same thing. They'll, I, I loved Breaking Bad back in the day, and I'd binge watch it, and that's it for a year. Better Call Saul, that's it for a year. With creators, it's for us every second day we upload a video. So it's made people greedy and what they expect for content because we're used to getting it. At one point, we uploaded every day for two years. It almost killed us. Every day, wow. 20-minute professionally uploaded video with like a beginning, middle, and end with a soundtrack with montages every day. And I met with a guy that works for a studio, um, a production studio for movies, and he's basically he's in charge of analytics and watching. And he would sit in a the movie theater, and this is crazy. They sit in the and just watch people now. So they watch, they put a movie up and they'd watch people. And they're seeing that people now in a movie that costs 200 million are on their phones. So they've lost their retention because they're bored, because they're used to creators making vid content so quickly and so much going on, so condensed that now for two hours they're like, oh, you know, I'm gonna go and watch and go on Instagram or TikTok. So. Advertisers now going, okay, well, what's the most effective realm? How do I hold their attention? Uh, is it worth spending millions of dollars to put my laptop computer in a movie, right? And yeah. at no point does Tom Cruise turn to the camera saying, oh, by the way, you guys, Top Gun today is sponsored by Sony. <laughs> For creators, we do that. We say, I love this product. Here's why. Click the link below and go check it out. You have a direct call to action to an audience of a million people or 500,000 people, whatever the view count is, saying, go do something. And um, that's where, again, the big brands come in and going like, wow. And then you have analytics to track who clicked the link. The movie theater can, is not going to tell the studio, yeah, who, here's who bought a ticket today. Here's who watched it. Oh, and Johnny left after five minutes. Sally was here the whole time. Where with YouTube and Facebook and even Instagram, you have that data, data access to go who's watching. It's pretty crazy when you think about the level of access now an advertiser has versus 10 years ago with a billboard. Like, who knew? Yeah, and you've covered so much there. I especially love, though, that angle about the way attention has shifted and thinking about how advertisers can and should be more flexible with the, you know, kind of relationship, the idea of giving you guys a little bit of rain on when the, the ads are going to drop and, and that giving you some freedom to really optimize. I think that's all really useful. I'm curious, Dave, it's been a great conversation. Is there anything else that you'd want to say before I let you go? Anything for brands that are thinking about coming into the creator space and, and things for them to be thinking about as they approach those partnerships? I think sometimes it's easy to get caught in your ways of doing things because it's always worked. But as we've learned with Facebook, with cookies deletion, all those things, it's constantly changing. And the ones that'll benefit the most are the ones that action now. Because you get on with a creator that's loyal, like Dale Jones Exotics, where you get in day one and we'll do so much beyond what's guaranteed. Uh, we always like to under-promise and over-deliver, where you build this relationship. And a lot of our advertisers, like we have dinner with the CEO, we're friends. And we have this bond. And we've watched them grow and grow and grow. And it keeps on evolving. The ones that are suffer, the ones that are so caught up in what worked 10 years ago, five years ago, last year, I would just say it's time to pay attention and try it. Work with creators that you feel are trustworthy. And it's not hard because everything's public. If you're not sure how a creator does an ad pitch and you're not sure how they'll do it, Go watch their videos because they've done it. They've been doing it for years. It's all out there. It's not, an, our ads don't get deleted. So when you make a video deal with us and we're on a YouTube video, it lives forever. It's always out there and it's always getting conversions, unlike Facebook or any other ad where you're paying for the run. As soon as your ad campaign runs out of spend, it's gone. With us, I'll look back at times and a video that was sponsored five years ago that did okay, say 400,000 views at the time, now has 5 million views. So the past five years, it's still getting watched. I call the advertiser. I'm like, well, yeah, we're still making money off it. This is great. Thank you. So just, I guess uh, my message to sum it up would be like, it's time to change. It's time to adapt what you're doing. But it's also really exciting because it's embryonic still. It's still at the very beginning, but there's a huge shift coming. And those act now probably reap the best rewards. 
Well, that's a great point to end on. Dave Coulter of Daily Driven Exotics, thanks so much for being on the show. It was great talking with you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, do us a favor and share it on your social feed of choice. And for a limited time, click the subscribe button to get the latest episodes sent right to your favorite podcast app. Okay, so there's not really a time limit, but what would a show like ours be without a bit of urgency sprinkled on top of the call to action? While you're at it, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. So feel free to email us directly at onthemic at adresultsmedia.com. On the Mic is hosted by Lindsay Smith and Nate Spell, edited by Jeffrey Stallings, and produced by Ad Results Media. For more information about Ad Results Media, go to adresultsmedia.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We're proud to be a part of the Adweek Podcast Network and the Acast Creator Network. Find more podcasts like this one at adweek.com slash podcasts.